This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Would you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 16. If I seem a little disjointed, there is a reason. I did sleep well, praise the Lord. But this past Tuesday, we were supposed to have another grandchild born. I got to spend the last two days down at Camp Lejeune with our daughter. And uh, that baby is very content to stay right where he is. And so I've been driving back and forth. And I've been batching it. You know what that means, right? My helpmeet is not at our home right now. She's down there. It was good to see her. But um, anyway, uh, I need my wife. And I need that baby to come so my wife can come back home. (laughs) It has been a full week. Thanks for understanding. And we've got missions conference on us, upon us. Next week, you are going to receive this booklet. It's done. I'm so thankful for Pastor Radice, the missions committee, uh, who have done so much work to prepare for missions conference. But you'll receive this booklet on the front. It gives us our theme, Declares Glory Among All Nations. And this will be our 47th missions conference. We're in our 50th year as a ministry. But 47 missions uh, conferences, uh, I don't know, I haven't taken time to look exactly how much God has enabled us to give towards missions. But supporting missionaries all around the world, multitudes and multitudes that have been saved just through their ministries, as we've prayed for them, held the rope. And, uh, and I'm privileged this morning to be able to take us to the passage that the missions committee chose. Of course, we talked about it. Uh, I looked at the verse, and obviously a strong salvation soteriological message in the passage. But as I've been studying 1 Chronicles chapter 16, uh, I have been amazed at the theme of redemption through it. One of the mysteries that we share as the church, we don't know how much the Old Testament saints understood about God's redemptive plan. There are passages in the New Testament that give us pause. In fact, in Hebrews, it talks about Moses, and Moses doing what he did because of the gospel. That's exactly what it says, and you think, gospel? Moses, yes, he did. He understood through God that God would send Messiah, that he would give his life a ransom for the sins of humanity. Moses understood that. Now, again, exactly how much he understood, uh, we're going to have to wait till heaven to be able to get all those questions answered. But clearly... David also understood that. Which helps us understand why David was so excited when the ark 
came into Jerusalem. The very presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God, uh, as he dwelt, put himself, his will, put himself between the cherubim atop of that ark. And so in chapter 16, if you look down, you'll see in verse 24 our theme verse. Declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all nations. If you go back to the previous verse, sing unto the Lord all the earth, show forth from day to day his what? His salvation. Now, was David just saying words that he didn't understand? No, no, no. David knew the history of Israel. He knew what had happened with the Passover in Egypt. How blood had to be applied in order to survive when the Lord came through and destroyed the firstborn. Uh, they, were, they were understanding uh, much of what uh, the God bringing Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea. Uh, those are things that already prophets were, were also talking about. Now, did they understand everything that we understand? Absolutely not. They didn't have the completed scriptures. But they did understand. And these are things that, that they desired to look into. And so our theme is found in this text. But let me begin with some background. And you'll begin to see immediately that there's application for this passage, and no doubt during missions conference, our main speaker will also be looking at some of this as God leads him. But here's the background to 1 Chronicles 16. King Saul is slain, and here's the parallel passage. It begins in 2 Samuel chapter 2. So if you want to compare these two, you know that, that like the Gospels, uh, First and Second Samuel, First and Chronicles, uh, the Kings. You have same events and the accounts of those events that are given, but the Holy Spirit is giving us more detail and helping us to see different parts of those accounts and what happened in the narrative. And so, what happens in First Chronicles 16? We have to go back to Second Samuel uh, chapter two. So King Saul is slain. Remember that God takes the kingdom from him because he refuses to believe God and just follow his will. After seven years of war, after Saul's death, David overcomes the house of Saul and is recognized as king in Hebron. The 12 tribes come together and they recognize him as king. And that's 2 Samuel 3 5. Now understand that what happens when they come and recognize David as king, they're just affirming what God had already done. Remember Samuel came to David's family to anoint the next king. You'll remember that David's father, Jesse, he brings all of his boys before Samuel uh, and and these, these warriors, we know the older ones were warriors, they pass in review. God says, that's not him. Next, that's not him. 
And they, all, they go all the way through. Samuel thought, well, certainly it's got to be one of these older warriors. And then Samuel says to David, or, or to Jesse, are there any others? Well, there's one boy out in the field watching sheep. That's significant. Why is it significant? Because the Lord was looking for a king who was a shepherd. He needed somebody that cared about sheep. Did Saul really care about sheep? Not so much. David did. And so David passes in review. He's a ruddy, good-looking young man. What does ruddy mean? He's red-headed. All right. He's a red-headed Jewish boy. I'm smiling because there are former red-headed guys here with us. They're, they're saying amen. They remember those days when there was red hair up there. All right. But God says to Samuel, there's your man. And he anoints him. What does David do? Well, he leaves the flock and now he's, no. He goes right back to the sheep. It's not long after that, you'll remember, that then dad has an assignment for David. Go take lunch to your brothers. We learn from that account that the brothers don't care much for David. Now remember, part of the reason they don't care for David is they know he's been anointed and they weren't. He shows up on a battlefield to deliver lunch to his brothers. And as he arrives, there's a big Philistine by the name of Goliath. The man was over nine feet tall. And he comes out to mock the armies of God and to curse the God of heaven. David is offended. Now, there are some things we learn about David during this time. What we learn about David is that he spends time with God. He's not just watching sheep. He's spending time with God. But as he's spending time with God, God grows his confidence. And when a bear and a lion come out to attack that flock, David will tell Saul, when Saul's checking this guy out, how can you go fight this giant? And, and David declares his loyalty to God. God's name. Who is this one who is blaspheming the God of Israel and the armies of Israel? And then when he's questioned about his ability to take on this giant, he says, look, my God did this. A lion came out, I destroyed the lion. A bear came out, I destroyed uh, the bear. I went back and looked at those passages. We all think that that sling, he got his sling out and he killed those animals. That's not what he tells King Saul. You know what he tells him? He says, I slew him with my hands. Now, shepherds would carry uh, not only a sling and, and other things, they'd carry the staff, but remember thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. They would carry a small club. And what looks like from the text is that David caught hold of those beasts and beat them to death with his club. 
Wow. Okay. And so this is David. And then David in, in, in defeating that giant and then the, the, uh, his fame in Israel causes Saul to be an enemy of David. He becomes jealous and the anointed becomes the hunted. Remember that? Instead of focusing on delivering Israel from her enemies, Saul takes the army and he's chasing uh, this, in his mind, this outlaw all over Israel trying to destroy him. And so now God brings the tribes together and they recognize David's kingship. David then captures Jerusalem and makes it Israel's new capital. What did David know about Jerusalem? Well, again, you have to take into account all of Israel's history. Going back all the way to the patriarchs, did you know that Jerusalem had a king? His name was Melchizedek. And by the way, the history of Israel already recorded about Melchizedek. I believe personally Melchizedek was a Christophany, an early appearance of Christ. Remember, Abraham offered tithes to this king of Salem. King of where? King of Jerusalem. But since that time, Jerusalem was in the hands of the Jebusites. So idolatry was practiced there. In fact, when David goes to take the city, they mock him from the walls. God delivers the city into his hand. And then David brings the ark of God into Jerusalem. And that brings us to 2 Samuel chapter 6 and also 1 Chronicles chapter 16. In fact, chapters 15 and 16 explain this. Now before we dive into the text, let me also share some things that help us understand how this is so applicable to us. When you study this text, this text reminds us, first of all, of failure. How does it remind us of failure? Well, you'll remember that there was a time in Israel called the time of the judges. And during that time, there was a priest who was ministering to Israel, but he was a very poor spiritual leader. And you'll remember that Hannah, Samuel's mother, comes uh, to the tabernacle to worship, and this priest is in charge. Do you remember his name? Say it. Eli. 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 And we know that his family's a mess too. His sons who are assisting him there, they're committing all kinds of immorality and wickedness. It's a bad time in Israel. Everyone's doing that which is right in their own eyes and you can't even go to the tabernacle and get help. In fact, if you come to the tabernacle like Hannah did and you pray, you pour out your heart to God, this guy has such poor spiritual insight, he might even think you've been drinking. In spite of all of that, Hannah says, Lord, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. 
It was a terrible time of failure in Israel. Also, the children of Israel think that the ark of God is nothing more than a good luck charm. We're not, we're not being successful against the, the, uh, the Philistines. And so let's do this. Let's just take the ark of God into battle and surely we're going to win. Did that happen? No, in fact, the Philistines defeat the Israelites and they capture the ark. I always smile and think, did they really capture the ark? <laughs> they take it. God allows it to be taken. They put the Ark of the Covenant into the temples of their gods, and it doesn't go so well for those gods. And, and they're just stone and whatever. They're not even alive. But you come in the next morning, and one of the gods is bowed down in front of the Ark. You set him back up. What a testimony about false gods. Set him back up. Okay, let's help him out here. Next day they come in, and not only has he fallen down, but he's hit the threshold and broken off his head and his hands. Now you've got to repair God. And the Philistines start sending the ark around, and disease spreads through the, the uh, Philistine cities. And you'll remember, so they send the ark back to Israel. As it's going back, it, it gets, it's on a new cart pulled by oxen, and, and, uh, and, and the cart begins to shake, and a man reaches out to steady it, and he dies immediately. It was a time of failure, and here's what it reminds us. When it comes to doing the work of God, we don't prescribe what that's like. He does. He does. You'll remember that David was grieved that one of his servants had died just, just trying to steady. But you know what? God didn't say, move my ark that way. There was a carefully prescribed way to move the ark of God. So there was failure. What this also reminds us of. So as we do God's work today, we have to do it in his spirit according to his word, not according to our prescription. We don't get to define what church is. We have to follow the scripture. But also, this is a time of failure in family. Say, what do you mean? Well, Saul's family had been destroyed, really, with the, except for one grandson, a son of Jonathan. The family did not have a heart for God. We're going to learn this when we get into uh, 2 Samuel later. You'll find this in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7. And what takes place there is this wonderful event that we're going to study together. It takes place, but when David goes home, in fact, you're in 1 Chronicles 16. Look at the last verse. All the people departed every man to his house, and David returned to his house to do what? To bless his house. This is an exciting day. The ark is coming to Jerusalem, and David wants to go home and bring his family together and talk about God's great might, what God is doing. Do you remember what happens when David gets home? 
His wife, Michael, has been watching. And she despised what she saw. As the ark entered Jerusalem, as David is dancing before the ark. And by the way, I believe it was uh, him just, just exuberant, jumping, shouting in front of the ark. Although we'll see from the text that there was also music playing. But as Michael looks out and she sees that the king has taken off his kingly robe. Now he's in his work clothes. Uh, he's, he's rejoicing before the ark. She despised that. Well, where did she get that attitude? At home. Not David's home. She got that attitude in Saul's home. And so at one time, Saul did have a heart for God. But through those years, he turned his heart away from the Lord. It infected his children. You'll remember that this was an arranged marriage with David. David loved the Lord. He walked with the Lord. He could have influenced this woman for God. She didn't want to have any part of it. And so when David gets home after a wonderful time before the Lord, he's discouraged by what she says. You, you could have taken a knife and run it through his heart. Everything that we're going to study here, uh, it, it, he just is deflated by her attitude. Now, these are all things that the church of Jesus Christ has to deal with as we seek to do the Lord's work. We do. There's failure all around us. Recently, we had a speaker here who was telling us about how many churches are closing. You know that it's very difficult today for Bible-believing churches to find pastors who believe the Bible. Who are not going to come in and change things. Which in essence then will affect a church's ability to reach the world for Christ. It's a real problem. And our Bible colleges, by the way, aren't helping We need Bible colleges that are going to get back to being schools of the prophet, training people in the word of God, a place where you can go and be challenged to deny yourself and follow the Lord. We don't need Bible colleges that are glorified youth groups. And I'm not talking about even our youth group, but places where you just go hang out with your peers, have fun, and claim you know Jesus. And by the way, we'll play the music you want to hear. Etc. Etc. We don't need that. You know, we, we need boot camps. The Bible college I went to at the time, it was a boot camp. And it trained me for ministry. We need, we need to get back to that. Not places where we're taught to please ourselves, but we're taught to please Christ. But the point is, we're dealing with, with all kinds of failure around us as we seek to glorify God, as we seek to see his will accomplished. And with everything that happened, the time of the judges, the, the failure with the Philistines, bad leadership in government, in the tabernacle, with, with all of that, this was a great day because David is leading, God's anointed, is leading the ark of God, the very presence of God, into the city of David. Again, this event is also explained 
here in 1 Chronicles 15 and 16, and brings us to our theme, our missions theme for this year. And our time is going quickly. So let's look at chapter 16 and verse 1. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. Now let's stop here. This first verse pictures for us atonement. The sacrifices, what was that about? Covering sin. They're fulfilling Moses' law, as God said, you need to recognize every time you come into my presence the redemptive nature of my work. You can't come as you are. You need to, you need to offer a sacrifice so that blood can cover sin. So it pictures atonement. And then it also pictures restored fellowship. They offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. The one allowed for the other. Blood covering sin so that we can have peace with God. Ultimately, again, fulfilled in Christ whose blood washes away sin. Verse 2. When David had made an end of offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he dealt to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon. Now notice in your Bible, if you're looking at the King James, of wine is italicized. Do you know what the Hebrew word for flagon is? It literally means a cake of raisins. So he fed all of these people. Fellowship. Cooperation. They were all there together with the presence of God, recognizing atonement, recognizing the importance of fellowship. And notice what he had also done to encourage the worship. And he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of God. It's entering Jerusalem for the first time. So he appoints those to minister before it, watch, to record and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. And then verse 5 gives us a name, Asaph. Now when you say Asaph in the Bible, you need to think music. Asaph was the chief musician of Israel at this time. Why was he appointed? Obviously, David already knew he was a musician. Asaph was. David was a musician. These guys knew each other. David appointed him to use music before the ark to lead the worship. Asaph the chief. Next to him, Zechariah, Jael. And then these other names of, of these that were appointed. And notice verse 5 says, with psalteries, with harps. But Asaph made a sound with cymbals. Benaiah also, Jehaziel the priest, with trumpets continually before, before uh, the ark of the covenant of God. So this pictures the ultimate reason for atonement and fellowship. What was it? It was the glory of God. 
This is where music becomes such a vital part. Ark enters Jerusalem. David knows it's important that we have the right kind of music to help our praise to God. It thrilled my heart when Rachel stood up here before the message this morning. And what did she say? And in eternity, I will sing. Wow. What are we going to sing about? Not our accomplishments here. The song of redemption, what God accomplished here through his son. That is the theme of our song. I was coming up uh, last evening from uh, North Carolina, getting back here for today, and um, a little lonely. <laughs> uh, I'm used to lots of things happening at home and, and, and my wonderful wife, and a uh, little lonely. So you know what I did? Uh, I have a playlist of nothing but sacred music that will lift your soul to God. And I punched that in and threw the sound system in my vehicle all the way back. I'm just listening to those anthems and that praise to God. You know what it did? It lifted my heart right out of whatever else I was thinking. And for eternity, we're going to get to do that before the presence of God. Now, in light of Missions Conference, and our time is quickly slipping away here. In light of Missions Conference, do you know that these early verses establish what missions is about? What is it about? The song of redemption, of restored fellowship that ultimately turns our hearts to glorify the God of heaven. When we read God saying to Abraham, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. What's, what's that about? The message of salvation, the finished work of Christ, so that we can know God, we can fellowship with the saints, and ultimately be restored to a place where we can bring glory to God once again. Do you realize that without knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can't bring glory to God? Your sins, the Bible says, have separated between you and God. And unless you put your faith in him, allow him to save you, do you know what your eternity looks like? For eternity, you will be separated from God. Oh, it'll be hellfire, it'll be darkness. You'll, you'll pay the penalty for your sin for all eternity. But the worst part of it is... As you continue to die, as you face eternal death, it is ultimately separation from God. That's the worst part. But friend, it doesn't have to be that way. You can know Jesus Christ as your Savior today. Admit to him you're a sinner. Believe that what he did at the cross is all sufficient for you to be saved. And just look to heaven, tell God you're a sinner. And in faith, put all your trust on him. Lord, save me. I can't save myself. And he'll save you. He'll give you eternal life. You can be freed from guilt and sin and shame. And you can spend eternity with him forever. So that's the basis for this text that we're looking at. And so in verse 7, 
Then on that day, David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. Now, obviously, David had already been preparing this. He appoints Asaph, and he is going to lead in the worship. He's saying, all right, I've written a hymn for you to sing with the other musicians. He assigns this song to these men so that they can sing it unto the Lord. Again, this is taken from three psalms, but mainly Psalm 105. And I want to read the psalm, and then we'll be done. Look at verse 8. Give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. Let me just pause there. We will never accomplish what God has for us in being a light for the gospel unless personally we are walking with God and seeking his face continually. How was David so effective as a shepherd, as a warrior, and how did God use him so mightily in even this text we're looking at this morning? Here it is, folks. Every day he sought the Lord. He walked with God. You're, you're not going to just, okay, I'm going to put on my religious hat and God's going to use me today. doesn't work that way. We seek the Lord. We seek his favorable presence. We walk with the Lord. We enjoy fellowship through him uh, or with him because we have been saved. And then God's able to use us. Verse 12, remember his marvelous works that he hath done. His wonders, his marvels, and the judgments of his mouth. O ye seed of Israel, his servant, ye children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Be mindful always. Always remember, and in my Bible, I've underlined this. You ought to underline it in your Bible, especially in light of missions conference. Be mindful always of his what? His covenant. What does his covenant involve? It's not just Israel. But what's he going to do through Israel? He's going to provide salvation. And here we are today. Jew and Gentile representatives from all different nationalities of earth. I think we're all, it's all represented here. And how are we here? God's covenant. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations. That, that, that's outside the scope of Israel. What his intent was for the generations of earth through the work of Christ. Even of the covenant which he made with Abraham and of his oath unto Isaac. And hath confirmed the same to Jacob for a law and to Israel for at what kind of a covenant? Everlasting covenant. Saying unto thee will I give the land of Canaan the lot, the portion of your inheritance. When ye were but few, and he's going to go on, he's going to talk about, I didn't choose you because of your value. You were nothing. But I'm going to prove how great I am through your nothingness. 
What's God doing with us? Or did, did God save you because you, you just caught his eye? You're so wonderful. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, but you know what? He saved you because he loved you and he's great. And now he wants to fellowship with you and he wants to use you. And so he goes on to talk about why he chose Israel, how they're, the gods of the nations are nothing. Look at verse 29. Give unto the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's ultimately what redemption is about. Fear before him all the earth. The world also shall be stable, firmly established that it not be moved. Well, who's going to make that happen? Because it's a mess right now. Jesus is. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice and let men say among nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar, fullness thereof. Let the fields rejoice and all that is therein. The trees of the woods sing out of the presence of the Lord because he cometh to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever. And say ye, save us, O God of our salvation. Gather us together, deliver us from the heathen that he may give thanks to thy holy, that we may give thanks unto thy holy name and glory in thy praise. Would you read verse 36 with me? Say with me. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel forever and ever. Stop right there. Ultimately, that's what the Lord is doing. So what is our part? Go back to verse 23 and verse 24. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. And show, that means to proclaim from day to day his what? Salvation. That's our responsibility, good news. How often? From day to day. Uh, just visitation or when it's convenient, when I can get, no, no, no. Day to day, verse 24, declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all the nations. I've tried to give us background this morning and then just quickly walk us through this chapter in our Bible because this is what God was doing in David's day and you and I are the fulfillment of that today. And ultimately, the Lord saved us so we could bring him glory and we'll be singing this song for eternity. There's a lot happening today to distract us. Am I right? It's a mess. Some of you are distracted by your retirement. I thought it was going pretty good and then the last time I looked... It's dissolving. Maybe some of you, you're concerned about your health. Not too long ago, it was, it was doing all right, but now things are happening and doctors maybe or maybe, maybe have answers, maybe don't have answers. I look at my nation and I, you know, I realize that we're in the mess we're in because people voted for people who are making these decisions. That's how we're in this mess. 
We put them there. We, a nation, put them there. And depending on which polls you read, our nation still thinks some of them are doing a good job. Uh, you know what that is, folks? Don't be discouraged by it. It's called spiritual blindness. And our Bible tells us all about that. What is the answer? Well, again, the answer is this. Declare his glory among the nations. Will you give yourself to be at this missions conference, to pray for this missions conference, to let the messages Grip your heart about the need all around us. You know what? You're set, and it doesn't matter what happens with your retirement. You have an inheritance in heaven. You are set. But the world isn't ready. They're not ready. And they won't be ready unless we declare his glory. That was David's burden. That's what he had the musicians of Israel sing about, and that ought to be our burden as well. Father, thank you for this text. There is just so much here. Lord, I pray that you will use the truths that we've looked at today and even what we'll be reminded of in the concentrated preaching of the missions conference, that the need is great. And Lord, you have us here to declare hope. They're not going to have hope. They're going to continue to grope in the darkness and look in all the wrong places unless someone takes the glorious gospel to them. And Father, you are worthy of praise because of who you are. But you stooped to meet our greatest need and Lord, we praise you because you first loved us. And so prepare us for this missions conference. And Lord, I pray that we would commit ourselves to be the witnesses for Christ we need to be. Now that's going to require that we yield, that day by day we walk with you. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.